by turn in, if you have your Bibles. Listen to the word of God. He came down with them and stood on a plain with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all of Judea, Jerusalem, the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd were trying to touch him for power came out of him and he healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds that through your word proclaimed, we may be set free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Imagine that you have just finished a great meal. And you're surrounded by adoring friends and family. You're resting in the fact that you have a good job and a great portfolio. You're as happy as you can be. You might be tempted to say, I am really blessed. I've heard many people say this when life is going well, and some of them are not particularly religious. You know, I'm just blessed. But Jesus ends his sermon... (laughs) on the plane by saying not so fast everyone around you is telling you how great you are but you may be in bad company and if you're not grieving now you will be you're full now but there will be a time when you cannot eat and if money and accumulation were your gods in this life then enjoy it now. This is the only heaven you're going to see. I always find it funny when people say, you know, I really like Jesus, but not Paul. Or they'll say, you know, the New Testament God is, is, I don't like the Old Testament God, he's too judgmental. Uh, You know, the New Testament God is who I'm most comfortable with. Well, people who say that are probably people who've never read the Bible. Because Jesus here says some pretty tough stuff. You start to get a feeling why they wanted to throw him off a cliff last week, right? <laughs> he doesn't necessarily uh, necessarily go for, for what people want to hear. One time I was doing a series on Jeremiah, 
which is a kind of depressing book. And, and when someone from my congregation complained, saying, you're not making us feel happy right now. And I said, well, you have to take it up with Jeremiah. It's not my fault. And we're just looking at what he has to say. Now, the second half of Luke's version of the Beatitudes, where he talks about the woes, can be seen as prophetic. Matter of fact, everything Jesus says, more or less, can be found in the prophets. His critique of those who are comfortable and such. And we don't talk as much about it, but Jesus talks a lot about money. He talks a lot about the dangers of possessions. Okay? It's not that our things are inherently evil. They're not. But as human beings, we have a great tendency to fall in love with things that don't last forever. We have a great tendency to let our possessions and our desires be the things we seek to satisfy us instead of higher things. So there's a sense where, though Jesus is not really breaking any new ground here. If you know the Old Testament, these are the things the prophets talked about as well. But the first part of his sermon is, is unusual. I uh, was at a conference this week in, in Dallas, and it was on the campus of SMU, uh, which is in Highland Park, which is one of the most affluent parts of, of Texas. Matter of fact, we were told that the, the tuition at SMU is the second most expensive tuition in the country. Over $75,000 a year to go to school there. I was afraid to touch anything. No. <laughs> and it, it's interesting that one of the, we were having a discussion, the, the conference was on racism and, and anti-Semitism, and um, with a group I've done study with these folks, and so I was invited to be part of this. And uh, we were talking about the problems of why the church isn't more effective um, in, in helping the world become better or, or transforming society. And, you know, one of the professors was talking, one of the scholars was saying that within 20-mile radius or 10-mile radius, radius of SMU, there are 20 churches with over 10,000 members. Okay. Everything's bigger in Texas, all right? Everything's bigger in Texas. And he said they have to raise $100,000 a month just to pay payroll, just to cover payroll, let alone facilities. So he said... As a pastor, you can't afford to upset anyone. That's what he said. Now, I actually disagree with that. I actually pastored in Texas right out of seminary, and uh, it was in a powerful congregation, people who were members of government, the federal government, uh, many Fortune 500 people in the congregation, and I found that they were very hungry spiritually. All right? So maybe I was just a stupid associate pastor out of seminary, didn't know better. All right? But I found that the needs of these wealthy people, when it came right down to it, weren't that different spiritually from the needs of the urban kids I'd worked with before I went to seminary. People need God. And people's lives are empty without God. But there's something going on in the first part of this passage that I think we have to look at. Um, 
Because being poor and hungry is not a blessing. <laughs> if you've ever been either, you're not around thinking, oh, I'm so happy I'm poor and I'm so happy I'm hungry. Mourning the loss of loved ones or being so depressed you're not sure you want to be alive, that's not being blessed. There's nothing good about watching somebody die. And I've worked with a lot of people over the years who weren't sure they wanted to be here the next day. If you've ever had to struggle with that kind of cloud over your life, that kind of depression, there's, there's no way you're saying that's a blessed position. And what about being persecuted for doing the right thing? Or speaking out because of your faith? Yeah, there are Christians in concentration camps. There are people who try to speak truth to their country who are in prison now for that in different places throughout the world. So if you're sitting in a prison in Turkey or a concentration camp in North Korea, I don't think you're sitting around saying, boy, I'm blessed. Right? Now, in Matthew's version of this, if you may not, you know, some of this may sound familiar to you because Matthew has a version of this in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? This is Luke's version of the same source material. Okay, the Sermon on the Mount, it's a little easier, right? Because Matthew spiritualizes it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And we're getting ready to go into Lent. And one of the important things we try to think about in Lent is that I am a needy person in terms of my soul. Unless I humbly come to God, I'm not going to be able to receive God's mercies. Lent is a time when we think about our spiritual poverty. So it's not that Matthew isn't true. One only comes to God when one realizes that one needs God. And it's better to hunger and thirst for that which is good. Okay? I mean, that person shall be filled. So that is true. Matthew's version of this is very profound and very important. But Luke is different. Jesus is literally speaking on a plane, a flat surface, and I think he's speaking plainly. <laughs> Sometimes when Jesus says something, you know what it means? It means exactly the way it sounds. Okay? There's some things that are hard to figure out, okay? But we, t- we tend to, you know, the things we don't like about Jesus, well, he's speaking metaphorically there. No. I think Luke 6 needs to be interpreted plainly. Blessed are those who do not spiritualize Luke chapter 6. And I think at the heart of what it means to be blessed when you're poor or to be blessed when you're hungry, to be blessed when you're persecuted, to be blessed when you're mourned, is the idea I was sharing with the kids. The blessing begins in that Jesus sees the poor in his midst. Jesus sees those who are mourning. Jesus sees those who are persecuted. 
let's, let's take for the poor and hungry, for instance. There are a lot of poor people in this country. Um, and, but there are, are a lot of ways that you never have to see poor people, right? Uh, 95, for instance. <laughs> when they built 95 in, in Delaware County, they cut right through Chester. You don't, matter of fact, initially there were no exits into Chester, one of the poorest cities in the state, okay? So you just think about the 95 corridor. You could drive through Philadelphia. You can drive through Baltimore. You can drive around D.C. Some, and, and never have to see any poor people. Now, I go, I'm, I'm, I, that's, that's kind of, of course, there's logistic reasons. But you know, in Dallas, <laughs> there's, I don't know if you've ever been to Dallas, but it's, it's kind of just a wild place. There's so many roads, and it's such a sprawling place. But I'm sure... The people living in Highland Park can go years without seeing a poor person unless they work for them. So you may see a homeless person when you're downtown, but most people don't have any sense of the people that are different from them. You know, and, and it's, it's interesting, we kind of speak in generalities about the things we don't understand. So, well, the poor people are just working harder. Or the welfare mother. You know, I've heard that. Well, those people welfare. I, you know, I know a lot of welfare mothers, okay, in the past. And I've known many of them who are working multiple jobs, taking care of their children, taking care of other people's children, and cannot afford to live in a place that's safe for their kids. Before I came to Feasterville, um, I did a number of things. I was doing some uh, consulting with churches, but I was helping run a urban project down in Chester, and we did an after-school program, which was which was a lot of fun. Kind of, kind of, kind of crazy, actually, to be totally honest with you. Chester was a tough place at that time, and there was an upturn in the murder rate. So there was this kind of crisis of murders going on. Um, in the in the city at that time, and people said, "Are you? Was I afraid?" No, I wasn't afraid to be down there because they weren't shooting at me. Okay, all right. My, the most dangerous thing would be if they were shooting at someone and missed and shot me, because the young men of Chester were killing each other. And we did this. We would do this programming after 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 school. And uh, we'd feed them. And there were these two little girls who always would only eat half of their snack. And I would say to them, I finally said, honey, what? why are you not hungry? And they were kind of shy. And they said, we want to take this home to our little sisters. Okay. So there are hungry people in our own backyard. And we may never, you know, we may not realize that. Now, you know, again, some of you, you know, some of you have been in situations where you weren't sure where the next paycheck's coming from. So I'm not assuming that you don't know that experience. What we're told here is that you can go out of your way not to see the poor or the hungry, but Jesus sees the poor, and the hungry. Blessed are those who mourn, 
one of the things I find interesting, and of course, in my position, I have a unique seat during funerals, right? I'm up here, all right? Um, and what's always interesting to me is to watch the people, okay? And, and generally, you know, everyone is mourning, okay? But once you get to the after event, unless it is the immediate family, people tend to be pretty happy. Okay. Why? Well, number one, it wasn't me there, right? <laughs> In other words, I'm kind of I'm kind of happy it wasn't me. That reminds me when George Harrison, when Roy Orbison died, George Harrison called Tom Petty, and the first thing George Harrison said, "You're happy it wasn't you, aren't you, Tom?" <laughs> now it's a little crass, but there is a little bit of that, right? And we're not comfortable. We don't like being around death. And we don't like to be around people who mourn too much. Those of you who have gone through great losses, isn't some of the loneliest times, like three weeks after the funeral, when everyone stops, you know, when, when people stop coming by, when everyone else gets on with your life, that's often when the grief really starts, right? You know, I mean, and, and part of my own life, is my, one of my occupational hazards is that I'm often involved, even with my own family, in funerals, right? So sometimes, you know, you don't get a chance to grieve. So sometimes it hits me six months later or, or even later. So there's a sense where we like to get on with things. Uh, that's one of the reasons I really appreciate our Jewish brothers and sisters, okay? Because um, they have certain rituals that you do for 11 months. And you're not supposed to be alone, all right? You're supposed to call people together. And you're supposed to, you're to think of the deceased person every day, intentionally, by saying your prayers. And I think there's something healthy about that because there's something that we don't like to think about. You know, we, we like to keep death away from us. But Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, because you will be comforted. You may become invisible to other people in your losses. If you're struggling with depression or loneliness, you may feel that you're invisible to everyone else. If you're struggling with the things that have not happened for you in this life and you see other people seeming to be so happy and you feel like you're alone in your grief, we're told here you're not. Blessed are you because God is with you. I once heard it said that if you cannot preach your gospel in a refugee camp or a cancer ward, then it's not the true gospel. <laughs> right? I think Jesus' sermon passes that test. One of the most important things that we need to do is not become preoccupied with our own self-survival as a congregation and constantly be reminded that we are here to see the same people that Jesus sees. that our job in this world is to see the poor, to see those who are hurting, to see those who hunger. Father Groeschel was a, uh, I, I don't know if he's still alive or not, he was a PhD uh, in both theology and counseling, and he was a member of the uh, Third Order 
Franciscans. So these are the Franciscans who still act like Franciscans. Okay. So these are the most strict Franciscans. And I heard him give a talk once to Oblates, people who were just, who were both uh, being ordained into the priesthood and were part of this order. And his opening talk to them was, all right, because you're part of this group, none of you are going to get good jobs in the church. They're going to send you to all the poor parishes in the worst neighborhoods in the country. And then he goes, and thanks be to God. Because he says, those are the only congregations worth having. <laughs> now, I think his point was, okay, what the world judges as success, sometimes the church does the same thing, right? Okay, what is successful? Okay. We were in, we were in Dallas, we were talking, what's successful? How many heads you have in the building? How much money you take in? Right. That's, what, that's how a lot of churches judge success. I don't think that's how Jesus judges success. I think Jesus judges success if we begin by looking at the world through his eyes. I think to be a successful follower of Jesus is to begin to feel the things he feel, felt when he looked out on that crowd. And you know what? We as a congregation, we can't solve hunger. We can't bring dead people back. And we cannot solve the economic injustices of this country or this community. But you know what we can do? We can be with the people that Jesus would be with. We cannot turn our backs on the people that Jesus sees. We can begin to understand that if God is not enough, what can satisfy any soul? But if God is enough, then you are the richest person in the world. If God is enough, you're never alone. If God is enough, it doesn't matter what other people say about you. If God is enough, then you not only have a home in this world, but you have a home in the world to come. Jesus once said, Blessed are those who do not take offense at my words. I would also say, blessed are those who actually hear his words. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Let's stand together and proclaim what we believe in the words of God.